So I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to the book of Daniel, the Old Testament prophet Daniel. I wonder if you uh, heard a book, it was written in the 1990s, which by the way, in 1990 itself was almost 30 years ago, and everybody that lived it said, whoa, <laughs> yeah, it's called, the book was called The Frog and the Kettle, and suddenly I see the heads nodding here and there. You may recall the principle of this book. I suppose a good subtitle might have been How to Boil a Frog. How to Boil a Frog. It's a metaphor, friends. It's not a cooking book. It's a metaphor. See, the metaphor here is, is laid out in this way. You want to cook a frog, what you do is you put him in a pot of comfortable water. You know, fitting in there, a little shocked, getting used to it, start turning up the heat. You know, frog starts swimming around. Pretty soon, it's nothing but a frog jacuzzi in there, swimming around, swimming around. But as it gets warmer and warmer, the frog has realized that his strength is now spent, and the frog is boiled to death. It is a slow movement that as we adapt, and this is the metaphor, friends, there are influences in our life. And they don't come at us like, ah! They come at us with an open hand and a big smile on their face. You are being influenced every single day. And my hope is, is that part of that influence is the Word of God and the Spirit of God moving in your life because I guarantee you this, that whatever you're watching, whatever you're reading, and whoever you're around is leaving their mark in your life. Today, we're going to begin a study. We're going to look at three men plopped into a situation they didn't want to be in. And in every step along the way, they are purposely influenced to change who they are from the inside out, my friends. We're going to see this account that everything around them was purposed to change them. And like you, you've got, they had to make a choice. A ch they had to choose which way they would go, whether they would go against the stream, as it were. So take a look with me, if you will, in Daniel chapter 1. And we'll start right here in the beginning. Now, as we do often in the beginning of any study, we got a little background to cover. We're going to see here some, some huge obstacles that they're facing, some enormous things that are before them. And the first one we'll notice is that Judah is exiled. You know the history here because you're all good students of the Bible. You know that God made this nation, brought them out of Egypt, established them in a land, and uh, you know, they, they, they liked Moses and everything, but he was gone. There was Joshua leading them in, you know, and then they had these things uh, that God raised up uh, during the, the time of the judges, these, these judges, you know, and they would rule from time to time, and they got tired of them. And they said, you know what, the whole nation, they said, we're tired of these judges. We want to be like everyone else and have a king. You remember that? Yeah, and God gave them the king that they wanted, but it wasn't the king they needed. His name was Saul, and he had no heart for God. And Saul ruled with, uh, with just a horrible man, godless man. He started out humble, my friends. 
But uh, as we often see, power tends to corrupt. And Saul was followed by another person. His name was David. David had a whole heart for God. Was he sinless? Of course not. And we all know what we're talking about with David's sin. But David loved God. David served God. But David had a son, and his name was Solomon. And Solomon had a half heart for God. And while Solomon started and honored God in so many ways, his heart was drawn away from him by all of these foreign women that he married, all of his 700 concubines, 300, I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. And he brought in all of this foreign influence into his world, and it turned his heart. And that is the, the story that continues on in the nation of Israel. Their hearts are drawn away with what the world has to offer. It's a shame. Ultimately, their sin and their rebellion against God got so great that because of Solomon's sin and his divided heart, God decided to divide the nation after he died, Rehoboam and uh, Jeroboam, they wanted to pull the nation in two. No me, no me. And now we have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and the sin was just perpetuated. Northern kingdom of Israel thought, oh, what are we going to do? Jerusalem's in the southern kingdom, and that's where God has called us to worship. How many times a year all of the men travel down? What will we do? And they came up with an idea, and they put two golden calves, imagine it, one in Beth and one in Dan, and they called all of Israel, the northern kingdom, to worship there. Well, it wasn't too long before God had put, in, put up with enough, and he raised up the Assyrians to carry the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity. And it wasn't too long later, those Judah people, they thought, uh, they believed in what was uh, referred to as the temple heresy. The temple heresy. They said, oh, we've got the temple down here. Nothing could happen to us. It was like uh, throughout all of the Old Testament, they took the ark with them like it was a rubber, you know, a rabbit's foot. We'll just rub this baby up and we'll get what we want. It was rebellion against God, the influence of others. And here they are in exile. The Babylonians came in, swept up the Ju Judah southern kingdom and took them back to Babylon. That's where we find ourselves in this book. I know that was a lot of history and a little bit of time. But my friends, notice this. Perhaps someone would, if, they, if someone were to come in today and take you to another country, you know, Peru or some other, some other country that was, well, you didn't know the language, you didn't know the culture, and you didn't want to know it. You just wanted to be home. That's where we find these men this morning in exile. And the Assyrians, they took Israel captive, but Judah, they never repented. I mean, they believed, again, in this temple heresy, and God said, no, that will not do. You trust me, not the bricks. And so who are these captors, the Babylonians? Here in verse 1 we read, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And what was the cause? Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. 
And what was the offense? Jeremiah gives us some great insight in chapter 25. Jeremiah 25. I know we had a lot of turn in here, friends, but we're going to learn some big important stuff here in the background. Jeremiah 25. Where the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. The king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this is what God's word from the prophet was, verse 3 of Jeremiah 25. For 23 years, from the 30th year of Josiah the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, to this day, The word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all of his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from old and forever." And so there it was, these people had hardened their heart. The sound of the prophet's voice may have rung throughout this nation, but they would not heed. They could hear it, but they did not care what the words were. And uh, so not only did they ignore God's word, verse 6 tells us they worshiped idols. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands that you did hands to your own harm. And they did not. And here is the third and oft missed. You see, when the nation of Israel was formed, you know, and you're reading through the book of Leviticus and you come to chapter 25 and, and God's talking about this thing called a Sabbath. And, and it was not, it was this pattern. Six days rest. But the six days also were expanded to six years. You plant and you, you, you reap and you sow and you reap and you sow and you, until the seventh year you do nothing. That God would give them enough on the sixth year to provide for the seventh and even enough seed for the eighth. And the fact is for 490 years they simply ignored him. So for every Sabbath year they skipped, the nation of Israel would be taken out of the land, that the land would rest. And that's what we find in, uh, here in uh, 2 Chronicles 36.21. You don't have to turn there, but if you should make note at least, 2 Chronicles 36.21, you know, we have this account. By the way, do you know about Chronicles? I wonder if you do. You know, you got the 11 foundational books. You read through those, you read through the story of the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, and Ezra, Nehemiah. That little break right before those last two is the exile. But uh, through 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, the Chronicles retell that story from God's perspective. It's like a divine commentary, God giving his opinion 
on the events recorded. And in 2 Chronicles 36, we read this. He took into exile into Babylon those who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Why? To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Bit of a background. Coming from a rebellious nation, a sinful nation, a stiff-necked rebellion, and God had now disciplined this nation. Taking them out of the land, giving the land the, the 70 years rest that was skipped all so many years. And so they didn't keep this Sabbath. And what was the penalty? It was captivity. Verse 25, verse 11 of Jeremiah, we go back there. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 70 years. So what was the impact? What was the impact? We might as well get to the end of this. So God took them out of the land, gave the land its rest, took these people into exile for 70 years. What was the impact of such a thing? Well, friends, when they came out, when they came out, my friends, they had a whole lot uh, more loyalty, this great loyalty for the Word of God. In other words, they started listening. So when we come to the New Testament, we read about these Pharisees, and they're all about the Word and a little bit, and dividing it and slicing it and cutting it and testing it and testing everyone that has something to say about it. We can see that part of that was just the influence of the captivity because they ignored the word of God. And basically they were cured of idolatry. Idolatry. Wow. Well, here's where we find our three friends. So the first influence that they had to face was exile. Taken out of the land. The second was re-education. Re-education. Look at verse 3. Here we are back in Daniel, by the way. I'll give you a moment to get back there. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 3. And we see that they are immersed in culture. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his, key, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance. And so apparently these were good-looking dudes, all right? Skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the kings, verse 5, assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. In other words, the, the uh, strategy here was to absorb these people who have been taken captive. Take the brightest and the best, the good-looking dudes, and bring them in and, and make them like us. And this is what these three Jewish boys were facing. You know, this is what these guys stood before. We want to take you out of your country and we want to make you one of us. And so the strategy was to re-educate. And when we come to verse 6, they were even renamed to honor other gods. 
Notice verse 6, the guys are listed out. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You all know Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, don't you? I mean, these are names that praise the name of God. But you don't know these names. What a shame it is that you don't know these names. You know whose names you know. Shadrach and Benny, right? Everybody, huh? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you know those names? Those are the names that praise the gods of the Babylonians. What a shame it is that we learned those names. But that was exactly the point. Everything about them was to immerse them in another god, a god that was not. Worshiping these gods was worshiping demons. And so the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And as of course, Azariah he called Abednego. All of these names honored the gods of the Babylonians. It seems that no matter where these men turn, they are being pressured. I think Romans chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses, verse 2, really gives a good impression about what they were facing. You know, Paul gave instruction in the, the book of Romans in chapter 12, verse 2, that we ought not to be conformed to the, 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 the culture, the world. That we are, the message puts it this way, don't be squeezed into its mold. And that's precisely what was happening in the lives of these young men. Everything around them was the intention to squeeze them into a mold, to make them something that would be counter to what God wanted. And have you ever found yourself in that place? Maybe a job, school, there you are in the dorms. There's nothing but sinless, rebellious, offensive people around you. And you want to just creep back. And you want to cover yourself and you say, I don't want a part of it. Maybe around the office and the language they use. And you've been there a while. And maybe suddenly you realize, I'm one of them. I didn't want to be one of them, but just the time and the influence. One little roll into the sand, the, the waves, one after another, day after day. And you're talking like they're talking. You're living like you're living. You're shopping like they're shopping. The influence of the world squeezing us into its mold. My friends, that's what they faced. It's what you and I face. I want you to notice here verse 17. You know, I'm sorry. Let's, uh, let's go to verse 11. Daniel said to the steward, hmm, I skipped a whole page here. I am so sorry. Well, friends, they were renamed and now they are tested. This is it. How far will you go? I mean, really, how far will you go and still call yourself a Christian and think you have some sort of influence in this world when everything about you seems to just look like the world? Here in verse 8, we see their test where Daniel makes a decision. Look at here in verse 8. 
But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And I want you to notice what immediately happens when this child of God makes a step toward God. When he says, I will not play their games, I will not talk their talk. I will not live their life. Look at verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The moment Daniel took a stand, God stepped in. Immediately looking out for Daniel, supporting that decision. You know, I love this, this word favor here. It is the word chesed. Everybody say chesed. Everybody cover their mouth because a little bit of spit comes out when you go chesed. And, and that word means the loyal love of God. You know, this is how God looks out for his children. It is an unending love. We know all about it in the New Testament. We know all those four Greek words, right? You know? And this is, this is God's love. Stepping up when Daniel makes a stand. He says, I will not do this. But he does it kindly, politely, and takes a step. And, uh, and there it is right there, my friends. Hmm. Wow. So Daniel's decision. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 10 now. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And here he is looking out for himself, and we understand that. You know, that is the very nature of who we are. Me, 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 what about me? Like, oh, you change your diets and you won't be like everyone else. And then I'll be in trouble. You've heard all this sort of things. We, we homeschooled our kids, you know, and I don't remember how many times we were told, oh, your kids need the socialization. Anybody hear the news about what's going on in the schools these days? You know, anybody paying, anybody else go to the public schools? I did. I didn't want my kids a part of that because that's how it works. You know, the world squeezing us into its mold. Well, we homeschooled for quite a few years, then we sent them in as influences. In many ways it worked, in a few ways it didn't. You know, but that's the way the world works. And so there they are. Hmm, wow, immersed in the culture, renamed for other gods, but now they make a stand. Well, Daniel, verse 11, said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny or whatever, okay? Test your servants, verse 12, for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Mm. Then he let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them. My friends, and that has got to be a part of the grace of God moving in Daniel's life. His loyal love, chesed, and this, this compassion. And so the, the eunuch, he agrees to it. 
So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the 10 days, the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths. And we know fatter in the flesh is good, right? (laughs) So the steward took away their food and their wine, which they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. And he said, well, what's the big deal about a little food, you know? What's the big deal? You know what the big deal is? They knew exactly what God had said about that kind of food. That kind of food that dishonored God. God, you, you know, how many of you are reading your Bible through? You know, you, you're, you're just plowing through the book of Leviticus and you're confused. But you know what Leviticus was all about? You were holy to me. You live this way because I have set you apart for a purpose. Honor me. Set you apart for a purpose. That's the word holy. Not just set apart, but set apart for a particular purpose. And my friends, they made a stand. But what about you? I mean, when do you make your stand? You, can, you don't have to put up a big show. Enough of this. I'm done with this. I'm not going to do it anymore. Daniel just simply went and said... We would like to do something different here. It was kind and respectful, and God honored it. He took a stand and said, no, I will go no further here. I will not participate in their games and in their talk and their actions that dishonor God. When are you going to say no? When is enough enough? And we saw Daniel's decision. We saw God's loyal love. But friends, when we wrap it up, when we wrap it up, this is what we find. Living in this world does not require living like this world. Living in this world does not require that we live like this world. In 17 through 21, we find that God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, which would be a handy asset later on in the book. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about what the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And yet again in Bible history, we see that God has placed key men in key positions for the influence there, my friends. But to be a people of influence, they had to be different. Friends, if you are to be used of God, it will be when you are different than the world. Ten times better. Because living in this world does not require that we live like this world. I want to encourage you this week to start asking some questions about your own life. I'm not asking you to look at anyone else. 
through all the decisions that you make, what you wear, what you buy, where you go, what is the source of the influence that puts you there? What you do with your time, what you're taking into your mind, what's it feeding, my friends? Because again, the Apostle Paul warns us in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. You've got to get in the word of God if your mind is going to be changed, if your life is going to be different. And in light of Daniel's example and this instruction, I would suggest to you that we start saying no to the world's priorities. Just because they yell it and just because they scowl when they tell it, my friends, does not mean we have to go there. Say no to the world's priorities. And secondly, say no to the trinkets of this world. I know it's sparkly and shiny, it's new and it's different, and everything within you says, I must have it. Learn to say no. Do not live for the things that will not last, my friends. Live for the one who is eternal. And perhaps a little more down to earth, live like you're heading home. Friends, this world is not our home. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, at some point you heard the good news that Christ died for our sin and he rose from the dead. You accept it as true and you acted on it. This world is not your home. We are citizens of heaven. Stop gathering all of the junk here. Start letting go of it so you're ready for heaven. Living in the presence of God. Live for what matters. Live for what lasts. It's time for a change, friends. If we're going to make an impact in this world, we certainly have to be different than this world.